Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is where we are this evening, and we will finish up this section, Lord willing, in verses 4 through 8 as we are looking at the actions of love. Uh, Remember the context of 1 Corinthians 13. Often it's pulled up, pulled out, and used in marriage, which certainly it's applicable in marriage and in other relationships, but the primary context in which it is written is, is to the church, and especially to the Corinthian church here where selfless love is, is absent. And um, so let's, look at, let's go back and read the first eight verses, and then we'll kind of focus in on the very uh, end, verses seven and eight specifically this evening. Paul writes, again, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not Charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, charity never fails, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail, whether there be tongues, they shall cease, whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Father, I pray that you would Guide our time tonight by your spirit. I pray, Lord, that you will be with all of the meetings around the campus this evening. Pray for our teenagers that are meeting. Pray for um, Brother Austin, Miss Holly, as they minister to them, along with the, the volunteers that they have there. I pray, Lord, that you will continue to help our young people to grow in truth and in knowledge of you. And, Lord, that they would continue to share their faith with others. We pray for our children tonight. Pray for Kim and those that are leading them. Pray that you would bless their time. And we pray, Lord, for our young adults who are meeting with uh, Matt and Jenny. We pray that you'll bless each of these as well as our time in here. We pray all this in Christ's precious name. Amen. As we've looked at in the first three verses, and if you don't carry a whole lot with you, I hope you will carry this with you and remember this and write it there in your Bible in the first three verses Really what the Apostle Paul is saying is that everything minus love equals nothing. You can have it all. You can have everything. You can be the best that there is. And yet if you do not have love, he says, you are nothing. And then as we begin to look at verses 4 through 7, really the first part of verse 8 as well, we see the proofs or the actions of biblical love. How do we know if our love is just a worldly love like the outside world has, or if it is a biblical and scriptural love, and it gives us the actions that come from this agape love, this love that cannot come from just our our human human working it up on our own. This is something that we cannot have without the Spirit of God. Uh, we cannot have this without God. We cannot have it in our church. We cannot have it in our marriages without God's help. It is literally the Spirit of God working through us to 
produce this type of love. And what is this love like? Well, he goes on here. Love is number one. We've talked about all of these. Love is patient. It suffers long. It's long-suffering. It waits on others with patience. Also, he says love is kind and it doesn't speak against or act against others in a way that is hurtful to them. It is patient. It is kind. It is not jealous. In other words, it celebrates with others the gifts that they have and and it encourages others to use those gifts and doesn't downplay the gifts of others. It also uh, does not boast and is not proud. It doesn't flaunt or try to make much of their own gifts while downplaying the gifts of others. It is not rude. Number five, he says it doth not behave itself unseemly. It does not seek its own. Uh, it, it is not easily provoked. It is, in other words, slow to anger. It is not hot-tempered. It is slow to anger. It is not easily provoked. It, it does not keep records. Number eight, it thinketh no evil. It doesn't keep score. And then the last time that we were together, we looked at verse number six, that love does not rejoice in sin. That is, it it doesn't enjoy sinful actions in others. It doesn't applaud sinful behaviors in others. And it doesn't delight in rehearsing and repeating sinful deeds of others. In other words, it doesn't gossip. It doesn't enjoy talking about the failures of other people or or of ourselves and then the the tenth thing and and just uh, in contrast to that is that it rejoices in the truth it mourns the absence of truth it rejoices when truth is proclaimed and when it is exercised and that brings us this evening to verses 7 and 8 and all of these are related tonight this is kind of Paul bringing all these ten, all these things to a close uh, they overlap somewhat, somewhat. So look at number 11 here is that love supports and protects. Verse number seven says this, it beareth all things. This is, this is the support of love and it refers to bearing a load, uh, like the strength of the beams that support a roof. It is, it is that which comes up underneath, uh, and helps, helps support the load. It is that that bears under the great heartbreak of others. It comes alongside those that are heartbroken or those who have great pressure or insult or disappointment. And instead of being crushed by that insult or disappointment or someone else being crushed by it, it gets up underneath the load of life and it bears it to the limit. When there is a a death, when there is heartbreak, when there is a prodigal, when there is someone in our church family that is going through a deep valley, uh, it, it does not look at the situation with a critical eye. Instead, it comes up underneath and it bears, it helps bear that burden and bear that load. As the scripture says, bear ye one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. And this is the great thing about being a part of a local church is that you have someone that comes and helps you bear the load that you are under. It never protects sin, but it causes us to hurt for the sinner and, 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 and uh, for us to seek to see them restored. Uh, again, it does not gossip. It does not listen to gossip, but it lends a hand. It shares the burden. You know, fallen human nature 
does the exact opposite of that. Instead, there is pleasure in exposing the burdens of others, discussing someone's failures. But love does not take pleasure in exposing or exploiting or condemning others. It looks for opportunities for, to forgive, not for opportunities to hold grudges. Proverbs 10 and verse 12 says this, Hate stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. We see this illustrated beautifully in an Old Testament story in Genesis chapter 9 when Ham came to tell his brothers that he had uh, discovered his father Noah's nakedness. You remember the story that Shem and Japheth responded, but not in the same way that Ham had done. And if you remember that story, you'll remember that they took a garment and they walked backwards into that tent and they covered the shame of their father. And that is the idea of what love does, that it, it covers, it, it loves and it covers those things as much as it possibly can. It doesn't, it doesn't, um, it, it rejoices in truth and it doesn't try to lie and cover up the truth, but it also doesn't try to flaunt or expose or je- make jest, uh, jest at someone else's failings. It warns, it corrects, it rebukes, it disciplines, but it, but it doesn't broadcast. And I, I illustrated that last time we were together with our children and those that we're close to. We don't broadcast their failures to the world. We don't, we, we don't want everyone to think poorly of them. And, and so we do the best that we can to deal with those things, but yet not to uh, broadcast them. And that is the idea here. Love remembers that in the cross, God threw the great mantle of his love over sin forever, covering it for those who will put their trust in his son. I love the terminology in Isaiah chapter 53. Listen to how it it uses this word. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our, our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Jesus sought to put a cover over those who nailed him to the tree. Remember, he cried out to his father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Love supports and, and love protects. It bears, it bears all things. It puts up with a lot of things. And then it believes the best. It says it believes all things. It believeth all things. In other, in other words, it's not cynical or suspicious. If there is, if there is a doubt about someone's motivation or if there is a doubt about someone's guilt, love will opt for the most favorable possibility in that situation. It trusts completely. You know, when we love God like this, it means that we take Him at His word, that, that we trust Him. We do not complicate his word we do not twist it or redefine it we take him at his word and and it's the same idea there it believes the best Uh, when this relates to other people it means that we give them the benefit of the doubt can that be said about us within the church that we give people the benefit of the doubt that we believe the best about them that we refuse the urge to be suspicious or to create conspiracies. We resist the urge to engage in the drama and assign the worst possible motive to what someone says or someone does. Love considers a person not guilty until proven innocent, 
but it considers them innocent until proven guilty. Real love always believes that that others they love in the body of Christ are in fellowship with God, not rebellion. How do you look at others within the church? Do you look at them with a judgmental eye, automatically assuming that they're in rebellion or that something's wrong? Or do you believe the best about them, that they are walking with God? I think about Job's friends. Job's friends, a lot of times, can be found within local churches. They don't believe the best about each other. They automatically go to the negative side and cast judgment on them and believe the worst about them. They, they gave Job no benefit of the doubt because he had, they had no true love for him. And also we see this in the New Testament, the scribes and Pharisees, don't, don't we? That they were quick to make judgment and to believe the worst about other people, including this, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. They believed automatically the worst. Hatred or self-love believes the worst in others. It is cynical. It automatically looks with a condemning and a judgmental eye at other people. And love, on the other hand, believes the best about them. Love is a, a harbor of trust. And then even when that trust is broken, love's first reaction is to heal and to restore. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, written to churches. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one. How? In the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. This is what love does within the body of Christ. Love supports and protects. Love believes the best. Love holds out hope. Number 13. Love holds out hope. It says it hopes all things. You know, sometimes it just feels like no one believes in you. Like you're out there all alone by yourself, that there's nobody that believes in you. I was reading this week of Pepper Rogers, who was at one time the head football coach at UCLA, and he was going through a terrible losing season with Don. He could not buy a win. And the critics were out. The media was out. The alumni were calling for his job. The fans were furious with him. His friends were becoming more and more scarce. As he would go out into town, into restaurants, people would sneer at him. And in the story that he was writing, he says, I wasn't even sure where my wife was in all of this. She had become really quiet around the house. So he complained to her one day and he said, I I guess my best friend now is my dog. And then he says, but a man needs at least two friends. To which she replied, I guess you'd better go get another dog. <laughs> Sometimes we don't feel like anybody believes in us. Well, well, love holds out hope. Even when we have failed, even when, when our track record is not good, uh, true love holds out hope even amidst failure. Even when it runs out of faith in somebody, it still holds out hope that they're going to come back, that that prodigal is going to come back. Listen, as long as God's grace is operative, human failure is never final. Let me say that again. As long as God's grace is operative, human failure is never final. 
And we, we don't want people to give up on our children. We don't want people to give up on those that we love. And yet we're so quick sometimes to give up on those within the body of Christ. The idea here is that, that you, you believe with all hope that, that they are going to come back, that you love them so much. It's like God would not take Israel's failure as final, would he? He continues to come back to them and to love them. Jesus, I think of, of Peter and how many times he failed the Lord publicly and cursed him. And most of us would have given up on Peter and, and went for another replacement. And yet Jesus never did give up on him. He, he held out hope on him. Paul, right here in this letter, the Corinthian church, they were a mess, weren't they? They, they were full of failure, full of disappointment. And yet what does Paul do? He expresses his love for them, his belief in them. In chapter 7, we looked, he says in verse number 4, Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my glorying of you. I am filled with comfort. I am exceeding joyful in all our tribulation. Verse 16, I rejoice therefore that I have confidence in you in all things. Even in the midst of their failure, he, he told them, I believe in you. I have hope in you. Despite failure, Love still believes the best about people. We could say it like this. It's optimistic. When you look at people within the church who have failed, are you pessimistic toward them? Are you judgmental? You look with a critical eye or are you optimistic? This is the idea of, of a coach or, or of a teacher who is trying to get that kid to believe, hey, you can do this. You can hit that ball. Or, or you can pass this test. It is that idea of believing in them and infusing that courage in them. And there's not very many people like this in the world. There's not very many people like this in the church. But how refreshing they are when you run across people who are just given to encouragement. They, they're, they're filled with hope. They believe in you. They don't give up on the prodigals. They love them when they come through the door. That's the idea here. Love holds out hope. It believes, it believes in them. We even, we even see this a lot of times with new believers, don't we? We see the excitement that they have, the joy that they have. And they come in and they're excited and kind of if we're not careful, our attitude is what? Well, just give them time, they'll get over it. That, that's a real encouragement to the new believers, by the way. But that's how we can be sometimes. Uh, when, when you talk to a newly married couple and, man, the girl just thinks that the guy has no faults and no failures and he's so sweet. And what's our, what's our thought? Just give him time, right? Just give him time. It's that pessimistic view of things. Have hope. Don't give up on people. Um, love doesn't accept defeat as final. I love what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 42. He says this over and over, this little phrase, Hope thou in God. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. As each successive wave of depression threatened to overwhelm the psalmist, he kept on saying, Hope thou in God. We're not hoping in ourselves, but we do have a God who is all-powerful. 
We do have a spirit of God that can continue to deal with someone and bring them to the place. Don't give up. It's just like humanly speaking, and recently I'm convicted of this. Because humanly speaking, we think there's no human help in sight. This is not going to end well. And we don't pray with anticipation. And we don't pray with hope, believing that God is going to do something. May God help us to have this kind of spirit-energized love that supports and protects and believes the best about people and holds out hope. And then lastly, love endures, he says. He says it endureth all things. And then he says at the beginning of verse number 8, love, charity, never faileth. Then he goes back, kind of, kind of going back to the first three verses here with this idea, whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Listen, the gifts are going to be gone at one, at some point, but the graces, the, the faith, the hope, the love, they go on. It endures all things. The idea here is that it endures all things at all costs. It stands against overwhelming opposition. It, again, refuses to stop believing and hoping. It is the love that is described in the Song of Solomon in chapter 8 and verse 7 where it says, Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. It will never stop. This love will never stop. And how many of you are thankful for the everlasting love of God? The everlasting love of Jesus in our life. Jesus loves to the end. I think about, humanly speaking, uh, Stephen, who loved his, his killers till the very end. Acts chapter 7 and verse 60 says, And he kneeled down and he cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. His love endured. This is, this is the steadfastness of love. It's the forbearance of love at its apex. And what a fitting way to end this paragraph. What good are all the above qualities if we stop loving, if we quit, if we find some loophole or some escape when it comes to love. Agape love does not have a back door. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, the Lord says this, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Romans 8.35, who shall separate us from the love of God? Rhetorical question here, shall tribulation, shall distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No, nothing can separate us from the love of God. It is enduring, it is everlasting, and it is the way that he has called us to love each other. In direct opposition to this, the love of the world is self-focused, it is self-protecting, it is self-enamored, it is self-serving. And this is what Paul saw in the church at Corinth, this self-willed love, this self-focused mentality that was, was, was not out uh, to look out for each other. It was not coming alongside to support each other. It was fickle, it was puppy love, it was, it was very shallow type of love, only if it benefited me kind of love. It's not the love that would endure. 
In fact, the word Paul used for endure is a word that is referred to a soldier in the battle, fighting for his life, refusing to leave the front lines. And I love verse 8. It reminds us that love never fails. And I love that statement. Love never fails. Say that with me. Love, it never fails. It never fails. It never, the idea there is that it never falls to the ground. This love never falls to the ground. Again, verses 1 through 3, Paul tells us that tongues and all knowledge and all prophecy and all faith, it's worthless without love. We just make a lot of noise. And now Paul informs us that these wonderful gifts, they're temporary, but love is eternal. Look, we're not, da- we're not there yet, but look at verse number 11. This same idea is carried on down through verse number 11. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man or when I became mature, I put away childish things. Look, remember the context here, to the local church. You know what's childish? Focusing on the temporary. Focusing on the things that are going to pass. Miss Judy uh, told her I liked her hair when she came in, and I said, what would you do to your hair? She said, I got a perm, and I said, is it permanent? And she said, for a while. Permanent for a while. And, And that's how the Corinthian Christians were. They were focused on the things that were going to pass away, the temporary things. And what does Paul say to them? This is childish mentality. Be mature in your faith. What are the things that are going to last forever? What are the things that are eternal? This love. Get a hold of this love. This is the key within the church. Again, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but love is the primary thing that God says the world will look in within the church and see our love one for another and know that we're his disciples by our love one for another. Gifts fail At Corinth, they were already, these gifts were already being abused. Look, gifts are given to the church to build the church, to edify the church. But if they become something that we're we're focused on and that we're using for our own benefit or our own promotion, then they're doing the opposite. They're not building up the church, they're tearing down the church. And love is the thing that helps us keep these things in priority. They're not the most important things. Love is lasting. Love could not fail. Time will fail. The created universe will fail. The sun and stars will one day fail. But he says love will never fail. It bears what otherwise is unbearable. It believes what otherwise is unbelievable. It hopes in what otherwise is hopeless. The world may look at it and say it's hopeless. Love hopes, even in those times, it endures when anything less than love would give up. Endurance is the unending climax of love. And let me close by bringing this back to our Lord Jesus, because he is the only one that we know that loves like this perfectly, isn't he? Jesus is love incarnate. The Bible says God is love. 
And so I want to read this section to you one more time, but I want to substitute the King James word charity there with Jesus since the Bible says he is love. He is love personified. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not Jesus, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gifts of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not Jesus, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not Jesus, it profits me nothing. Jesus suffers long and is kind. Jesus envied not, Jesus vaunts not himself, was not puffed up, did not behave himself unseemly, seeks not his own, was not provoked, thought no evil, rejoiced not in iniquity, but rejoiced in the truth, bore all things, believes all things, hoped all things, endured all things. Jesus never failed, and now abideth faith, hope, Jesus. These three, but the greatest is Jesus. Jesus. What a Savior. And that is what Paul is after in this, this hymn of love. He wants us to be like Jesus. Oh, to be like Him. Oh, to be like Him. Oh, to in some way, through the Spirit of God, be able to experience in some small way. We'll never be completely like Him until our bodies are glorified and in His presence. But may it be the desire of our hearts that we follow in His footsteps to love a little bit more like He loves and a little bit less like the world loves. To have these aspects in our love that we don't give up on people, that we come up underneath them and support and bear the burdens that they're going under and believe in them when all else have said, forget them. They'll never make it. That there's a group of people who believe. The rough, the roughest of the people that come in here, what's your attitude towards them? They'll never make it. They might last a little while. Or do you love them like Jesus does? Believe that that might be another Apostle Paul. That might be the future pastor of this church. That might be somebody that God takes. And I believe that God can can change that person. I believe that God can restore that person. I believe God can save that person who seems the furthest away from God. I believe I love them supernaturally through the Spirit of God. I want to be a person of agape love, don't you? There's just that sweetness, that sweetness of spirit, that encouragement when you're around these kind of people who love, who believe the best about people. They don't listen to gossip. They hate gossip. In fact, when they hear it, it causes them to cringe. Not perk up. Tell me what you got this week. Now, love wants nothing to do with that. And that ought to be the desire of all of our hearts. Father, we love you and we thank you that you love us with a love that will never fail. You loved us so much. You wanted us to be your eternal family. Sent Jesus Christ to this earth. And Jesus willingly gave his life for us so that we could have eternal life. 
And although we know, Lord, we, we struggle with this flesh, and Lord, we fail you each and every day in this aspect, I pray, God, that you would help us to be people who are conscious about being filled with your Spirit. And Lord, being able to live beyond our natural ability. What, what good are we if we just do what we can muster up in ourselves? No different than the world. So God, I pray that you would help us to be filled with your Spirit. I pray that because of that, there will be something different about our church. I pray that when people walk through these doors and walk onto this campus, that they, do, they never feel judged, they never feel looked at with a condemning eye. But they, they feel loved and they feel like there's hope for them. And they feel like we believe in them. I pray, God, that that's the testimony of this church. I pray that within our homes, in our marriages, with our children, God, forgive us for not loving in this way with our own family. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us in these areas through your Spirit's power. We pray all this in Christ's precious name. Amen.